Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 49ers, Seahawks. It's going to be a rainy day, I think, tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow morning, the first day of Wild Card Weekend. We're going to be here breaking down this matchup and the film behind it. Stay tuned. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to a morning uh, upload here. I'm with my guy, Johnny Dells up this morning on friday right before the game johnny how you doing oh we're doing fantastic it's a nice brisk cool day in alabama so we're doing good uh it's going to be a lot drier than out there in california where everybody's going to be uh wearing their ponchos to the game probably yeah and uh i'm one of the guys who will be going to that game so poncho it is for me as well it's going to be a fun one though uh the 49ers facing off against the seahawks third time this year uh, after sweeping them in the regular season. So, you know, one of those division rivalries that is going to come back. I know 49er fans have a, a bitter taste of that third time because they faced the Rams last year after sweeping them and lost in the NFC Championship game. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, and and I think there's fan PTSD from Seattle, too, because mm-hmm. we've had so many rough losses. And especially if you look at the Harbaugh era, they, we just, they were the dragon we couldn't slay. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, when people say it's so hard to beat a team three times in one season, I always say, look back to that 2013 or to the uh, 2013 championship game that we played probably the best game of the year that year as, as far as in, in a lot of ways, uh, considering the opponent and it still wasn't enough to beat the team that had beat us twice before. So it is very hard for the team who was lost twice to come back and win because oftentimes the other team is actually just better than you. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And a lot of people have been saying kind of how it is tough to beat a team three times. Well, some solace for 49er fans in general, it actually isn't as tough as you'd expect. uh, I think it's uh, teams are 14 and nine uh, overall when, uh, when seeing a team a third time after sweeping them in the regular season, and that gets better when they see them at home. They're actually 12 and six when seeing that same team at home uh, since 1970, which was when the merger started. So just based on the odds, the 49ers have two thirds chance to win this game. Obviously it goes much deeper than that, but I think the 49ers right now coming in as 10 point favorites are probably feeling pretty good about themselves. Although we know that they're not going to underestimate Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. Absolutely. And I, and I think 
you know, especially we have PTSD from last season, like you said, with the Rams. Of course, we have to remember that Jimmy Garoppolo was being held held together by duct tape by that at that point, and Trent Williams was a shell of himself, basically on one leg. Uh, that tends to give the other team an advantage. That was not the case, you know, in the first two matchups. It took that happening for uh, and a big dropped interception for uh, the Rams to be able to beat us. For that game, um, Seattle doesn't have that advantage this year. Seattle has just been outclassed by the 49ers in both games, and I don't expect anything different. Um, you know, Pete Carroll is Pete Carroll, and uh, he always comes with his teams play very disciplined. But man, I uh, I just I just don't see how this game if if this game is close, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be very disappointed in our team. I'll say I'll put it that way. I watched the film on uh Seattle for their past four or five games and uh it was not great. I lost you in my ears. Are we good now? Hey, there you go. There you go. There we go. Seattle, they're a team that has been on a bit of a slide recently. It's not one they're not one of the teams that you'd expect to be scared of kind of going to the playoffs. That's why a lot of team a lot of people said the Packers were going to be a, a more difficult matchup because of the way that they're playing, maybe even the Lions. But overall, I think the 49ers uh and the Seahawks, it's going to be a fun matchup, but Seattle, you're right. In the past five games, I mean, Geno Smith has not played to the level that he played recently. And I think, um, like, it, it, it is a vital part of their offense. But with the rain that's going to happen, obviously, the 49ers are going to have to kind of face the ground game a lot more. And when you talk about that, what I mean is the 49ers – Obviously, they're they like to run the football a lot. Kosh Shanahan's obviously talked about the thirty uh, times that he wants to hit the ground, but they've become more of a pass-centric offense this year because that's their strength. That's one of their strong suits of their of their team. This game, though, it seems like it's going to be more ground-centric, and that might go back to that Week 15 matchup where both teams ran the ball fairly well. What's kind of your thoughts on the run game and how that might impact both sides? So. A lot of people are talking about how we should run all over the Seahawks. They're the 30th ranked run defense. And, you know, that that's a narrative I've seen. That was also what we thought was going to happen when we played them on Thursday night football. And we didn't have we didn't have like the run away with it kind of running performance. And that's actually a lot of what you see with Seattle. They're they're a sneaky good run defense team in that their numbers don't look great. But when you watch them on film, what you see is they're actually very good about 90% of the time. It's the other 10% that get them. So 90% of the time, you're going to get a two, three, four yard run. That's it. They're going to play. They're very sound. They're gap sound. They do a very good job, but they have been giving up explosive runs. I believe they're third, they're third worst in the league in giving up explosive runs, which is runs of 12 or more yards. And that's exactly what you see on film is that they'll, they'll ha have a run for two yards, three yards, play everything gap sound. And then there'll be a misdirection run in there somewhere where somebody over pursues and the other team busts one for 35 yards um, or 20 yards. You know, there's a lot of that. So, uh, that was even the story of our Thursday night game. If you look at Christian McCaffrey, most of it were three, four yard runs. And he did have one uh, like a 35 yard run 
early in the game, but that was the only big run. A lot of it was just a grounded out game. If you take away that run, you know, Christian McCaffrey was averaging like four yards a carry, which is well below his season average. And so, and so it's a, it's a situation where um, I expect a very grounded, grinded out game. Seattle is, is almost the opposite in that, you know, they get a lot of two, three, four yard runs and that's it. That's because of poor execution. When they get a big, big gain, it's not like they out scheme the opponent. It's usually there's a broken tackle or a crazy play, um, something like that. It's never, uh, they just beat you schematically. Um, and so Seattle's run game, and I, I think they're going to have a very tough day against San Francisco. We play very gap sound. Uh, these are two defenses that, again, they, they come from a similar uh, origin story. And so I expect a grinded out game, but I don't see Seattle having the juice on their offensive line against our defensive line to really carry it. Cause if you look at the depth of San Francisco's defensive line versus the depth of Seattle's defensive line, yeah. it's nowhere close to the same. And like you said, a lot of their offense has been, been based around getting that downfield passing attack with DK Metcalf with Tyler Lockett with Marquise Goodwin and Gino has just almost fallen off a cliff as far as production uh you look at the first it was like first 10 games of the year I think he had 17 touchdowns to three interceptions I mean he was doing very well ball security like 70 percent passing completion you look at the last five games he's at 63 percent passing completion and he's only had one game above 62 percent um that and so he's like 63% passing. He's got eight touchdowns to uh, five interceptions. It is very different as far as his production. And like I said, I just don't see that script flipping and then being back to early season form. Very rarely do you see, see a team start out really hot, get really cold, and then get mm -hmm. really hot right in the playoffs. That it just doesn't happen. Agreed. Agreed. So on the point that you just made about the run game, I think you are right in the execution standpoint. And a big reason for that is the Seattle offensive line. That's not really a strong suit of that team. It's a young up-and-coming offensive line, but not really one of the stronger ones at the moment with the way that it is, uh, with the way it's formulated. Instead, it's mainly Kenneth Walker and the running backs really breaking tackles and getting extra yards after contact. And that's not something a really the for, a formula that has succeeded well against the 49ers. Now the Seahawks did run 14 times for 70 yards in week 15, but then again, they were down for so much of the game that they couldn't run the football and establish a strong running game that the run game really was not a factor at all for them. Meanwhile, the 49ers, on the other hand, they ran the ball 34 times for 170 yards and kept Seattle at a distance up until I think three minutes left in the game when Seattle scored that touchdown. That was also not one of their best offensive games, and still they were able to run the ball very efficiently and keep Seattle at bay for a good portion of the game. And so I think the biggest difference, Seattle can run the football well they because of Kenneth Walker. San Francisco can run the football well because of the way that uh, they, they work schematically and because of their running backs. But overall, the biggest difference, San Francisco defends the run at the best rate in the NFL, allowing just 3.3 yards per carry. Seattle, one of the worst teams in the NFL against the run, allowing 4.5 yards per carry. And that has been shown in the two games that Seattle and San Francisco have played this year. So I think that that's going to be a huge factor. And in a rainy game where while you might want to try uh, airing the ball out a little more, you might be a little more limited. And it seems like tomorrow is going to be one of those type of days.
Absolutely. And I, I also wonder, um, and, you know, I, I dropped a, a scouting video looking at the film uh, of Seattle uh, Thursday night. Um, I wonder where are, or is, sorry, last night. Uh, I wonder where are Gino's eyes, you know, early in the season, some, some things were really good for him. Um, but you start looking at their last five, six games. I really, really wonder you know, what is he looking at? Where is his eyes at? And he is forcing a lot of things to DK Metcalf. Um, you just wonder what what's going on with that dynamic because there's plays that he has guys open and DK is the third read on the progression and he's going to DK and he's forcing it in there and he's 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 just doing it. And he he's there's so many things of court of good quarterback play that I'm not seeing from Geno Smith. And it's like you said, now you add the rain on top of that that's really looking like it's going to be a rough, rough game for him. I mean, uh, there was a play, it was against the, the, uh, the Rams. They're running a double post concept, uh, and he should have had DK in the end zone, but he doesn't look off the free safety. And so he's trying to make a tight window throw because it's such a tight window throw. The, the corner is able to break on it and bat it down. Um, he threw an interception against Kansas city. He's got Marquise Goodwin on a fade. It was actually, it's, it's a, it's an option route sort of it's a side adjust route where um, it's a fade versus a single safety and it's a deep out versus a two safety and right at his drop back. Gino stares straight down to Marquise Goodwin. The single safety rolls over the top so far that as, as Marquise Goodwin is coming out of his break to start stacking the corner, he looks up and he sees the safety. He thinks they've rotated into a two safety because the safety has jumped so hard on Gino staring it down that he runs an out route. So he's thinking it's a two safety. He breaks out. It's a deep out. Gino throws the fade. Easy pick for the for the safety. I mean, one of the, the guys, the easiest interceptions of his career. You're seeing that kind of stuff from Gino. He is not seeing the field well. He's staring things down. He's he's telegraphing everywhere he goes. He's not looking defenders off. When I mean, like I was watching the film almost licking my chops for our 49ers defense, going, if this is the way that Gino plays in the rain in San Francisco, this game will be over by the second quarter. Um, you know, it like I, I have never felt so confident uh after watching a, a team's tape going into the playoffs. And I've been watching our matchups, you know, since we've been in the playoffs in 2019. Um and I always felt like, you know, the fan of me comes away from the tape saying, okay, yeah, we have a good chance. Here's what we have to do. Here's what's going to be. Um, this was a game that I came out and I was like, this shouldn't even be close. This should, this should be a blowout win. Uh, that's how bad Seattle's offensive tape was. There you have it. That is astounding, especially given how Seattle has had success. Really, Seattle over the first, what, maybe 13 weeks of the year before that recent slide when they were the number one seed in the NFC West, they were relying on that offense. They were a high-octane high offense and a poor defense, really. They they, they were uh, one-sided for the majority of the season. And when that one side kind of falls a little bit, you understand why they go from seven and four and end up where they did at the end of the year uh, with the slide that they had. A bit of a quick transition because it did just come out. The AP All Pro teams just came out for the 49ers, and there are, I think, four players that made first team, two players that made second team, and a couple of potential snugs. So uh, I want to ask your opinion on the first team guys and the second team guys before we move on. First team, Trent Williams got left tackle. 
Nick Bosa was one, I believe, of three edge rushers uh, to make first team. Fred Warner was one of three linebackers. And Talano Hufunga was one of two safeties. Let's start with the top and then move down to the bottom. What do you think of those four? Well, I mean, when you talk about Trent Williams, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, you were talking about the cream of the crop of the NFL. Uh, you know, if, if we're talking current players, I would say you're talking about the young royalty, right? Like the Hall of Famers are the royalty of the NFL. These guys are the young royalty. Uh, I think you're you're talking about three Hall of Fame level talent guys. So, uh, you know, Trent Williams, I think we've all seen everything uh, that he's done. And uh, it's amazing that he made another all pro tipping plays. Uh, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, but uh, Fred Warner, I mean, all pro Fred. Nick Bosa, the best defensive player in the league. I mean, just is. Um, and now Hafunga, I think he's he is is such a dynamic player. Now we have an have an emotional connection to when he screws up, right? Um, so I, he's gotten a lot of flack from fans, and so much of that is again that is the emotional connection to when he screws up. Every great player will screw up. I mean, Jalen Ramsey gives up more big plays than a corner of his stature, right? But mm -hmm. We don't care. We always, when we play them, we always think, uh, Jalen, you know, you got to be careful with that guy. He's a very talented corner. That's how everybody else is looking at Hafunga. Okay. They're not thinking about, about, oh man, he, he gave up this play here. He gave up that play there. Um, Hafunga has been a, he has taken that, that safety spot with San Francisco to a different level. And he's really, you know, I was something I was thinking about the other day. Um, he's really solidified as far as availability at that safety spot. That is very you know, true. Yeah. You know, Something Jaquaski Tart never had. He never had. I, I like Tart as a player, but he was good to miss six, seven games every year. You know, mm -hmm. he was going to get nicked up. It was never going to be anything major, but he was going to miss three games here. He's going to miss two games there. He's going to miss a game. He was going to miss a half here. He's going to miss a half there. Hafanga has, has been very durable and he has been a very dynamic player. He brings uh game changing plays to the, to the field. And he, he plays his run fits very well. Um, yeah, there's some young player mistakes, but remember, this is his first year in as a true starter role. So, uh, you know, when you look at where this guy's ceiling is, you think, man, we, we've we've got a, a hit at the at the safety position for quite a while. Yeah, and I mean the, the All Pro designation. Not sure if I necessarily agree with that with the way the season is overall gone, but Ufanga has been obviously a, a special player, and I think it is also important to know that while there have been issues in the past five, six weeks, there were also really good, really good things put on film the first 12 weeks as well. And even the last couple of weeks, there are, while there are the, what, as people love to call them, coverage busts, some of that have led to touchdowns and things like that, as well as missed tackles, there have been very good uh, plays put on film as well. Now, Hufanga has an aggressive nature that you, I don't think many people can deny, both in the run game and in the passing game. He will look to be aggressive in both facets and it benefits him and it also doesn't benefit him there are a lot of players in the nfl that have that obviously most notably known as trayvon diggs a guy who will uh who likes the interceptions gives up a couple uh, a good amount of yards trayvon diggs though has improved his game trayvon diggs has been a fairly solid corner and i believe he made uh i, I think he was left off this list but i think he made the pro bowl uh as one of the four corners he's been a solid guy there are players like that and they are they do deserve the recognition 
Now, I do think that there have been a, a, a couple of really good safeties this year in the NFL. Um, and it depends on how you view what you what what essentially you prioritize when it comes to your safeties. But Ufunga has been a solid player. And I think that given that there were only two spots, I don't know if I'd put him in on first team, maybe not even second team, but he's been a very solid safety and something the 49ers have not had for a while because of the factors that you mentioned in durability most importantly though being the ability to make plays not really uh known a known thing for the 49ers at the safety position but Hufanga has those interceptions this year he's had the ability to make tfls in the backfield shooting out and really the skills that a lot of people uh said that he may not have such as that quick burst the acceleration and the ability to have good pass coverage because of that a lot of people are seeing that they've been proven wrong this year. Absolutely. And, you know, one thing that also sometimes gets uh, left unnoticed is his tackling ability. Um, you know, he's a very good open field tackler. And that means a lot. I've, I've seen a number of games where if he doesn't make a tackle, it's a huge gain. And Havunga just comes up, makes a tackle, and it's a two-yard gain. Um, you know, that's one of those plays that just seems so routine. And it's never going to make the highlight reel. It's never going to make make the sports talk. But you see a lot of those plays from him where he's just a solid, solid player. He's he's tough to get on as far as to get a blocker on him. He's real. He's slippery. Um, he's instinctual. He he explodes when he sees it. He goes for it. That's also got him in trouble. But there's no hesitation in his game. Uh, it was like I used to have a a band director when I was in high school. He had a saying. He said, "If you're going to make a mistake, make it big." Um, and that that's a fungo, right? Um, and the reason why he would say that is because when you when you when you play timidly, when you act timidly in something, when you're performing, uh, you're just going to be all mediocre at best. But if you if you really go for it and you're confident in what you do, then you'll have a lot of really good. And now you may have a big mistake every once in a while, but he can't change the way he plays because we you see all the other good that comes with it. Now, if, if he can, you know, get rid of those bad, we're talking, you know, a, an all a first team, all pro for the next 10 years. So, um, you know, he's a guy that you, right. you can't help, but just love. Exactly. And funny enough, a lot of people like to, point at the nitpicks of Hufanga. Hufanga had a bit of a tackling issue to begin the year in terms of his missed tackle rate. Last seven games, hasn't missed a tackle. That's how That's been how impressive he's been over the last seven games because while there have been the issues in coverage, there are also, you got to take the good with the bad. And there has been a lot of good when it comes to Talano Hufanga. And it's good to see the growth, right? Uh, kind of a mid-season change from the missed tackle rate to what it is right now. And so uh, while it ends up being fairly high for the season at around 7%, it's still a very good uh, sign that you saw uh, towards the end of the year. And so, yeah, that's a good thing to see from Talano Hufunga. Moving on to the second team, we got George Kittle at tight end. Obviously, Kelsey got first team. Kittle got second team. And then special teamer George Odom uh, got his second career All-Pro, this time on second team. Yeah, George Odom's been an interesting player. Um, hasn't seen the field a lot as far as, uh, you know, actually during defense. Um, but... Got special team. Now, uh, special teams is one thing I don't know a whole lot about. I'm actually working on trying to get a uh, uh, an NFL player on to, to help me break down some special team stuff. Uh, that's something in the work on my channel. Um, I don't know if that'll happen or not. Hopefully it will. Uh, but, you know, 
Great job. He was a he was an offseason pickup. I mean, great. Another great addition by John Lynch and George Kittle. I mean, we all know he's it's him and Kelsey are the the top two in the in the league for tight ends. Uh, it, it's been like that, and I don't see it changing. Um, there's been a number of good tight ends who have come out like a Darren Waller, but they're just they're they're It's like those two are in a tier above everybody else and, and they're head and shoulders above everybody else. And you just wonder if. George Kittle hadn't had an issue with it with a hamstring earlier in the year because uh, Kyle Shanahan talked about that a couple weeks ago. They said, well, why, you know, why has George Kittle suddenly seemed to just appear? And he said, well, you know, he was slowed with an injury, uh, his hamstring and stuff. And you just wonder what where would he be if he had been health, been able to be healthy all year? Uh, that's the only concern we have at George is, you know, he plays the way George plays. And uh uh, how's his durability? Because one thing that Kelsey's shown is incredible durability. Um, I mean, he's just always there for Mahomes. It's Mahomes and and Kelsey. Uh, but yeah, I mean, gotta love Kittle. Agreed. I mean, in the first half of the year, you did. You're right. He was a little slower, be it quarterback issues and not getting uh, getting him the football, be it Kittle himself with the injuries, be it the way defenses were approaching him. I think the major thing that really changed was the acquisition of Christian McCaffrey because it really forces defenses to not full, uh, not hone in on Kittle, especially when route combinations have Kittle and McCaffrey on the same side of the field. It allows more open ground for Kittle when people crash down uh, to the flat to cover McCaffrey, and it gets him the ball in space where Kittle has obviously proven that he is one of the best uh, in the business at operating uh, in that in that area. So. It's been a good good change for Kittle. That's why you've seen these two touchdown games. And also, he's got a quarterback now that focuses a little more on him and targets him uh, more heavily with the ball. Now, there have been times where Purdy has missed Kittle over the middle of the field, be it on corner routes, be it on uh, crosser routes, whatever it may be. But Kittle and Purdy have developed a connection. It's a good thing to see, especially in the red zone where Kittle has been getting uh, targets recently. And it's just another threat for the 49ers because Kittle has proven how good of a uh, pass catcher that he's been in recent years. And now this year, I really thought his run game, uh, his run blocking continued. And I thought it was a little more highlighted, especially early because of the lack of uh, targets in the passing game, which I thought was fun because it showed more love to Kittle in that aspect. But he was a very good, uh, well-rounded player this year. And yeah, I mean, Travis Kelsey is Travis Kelsey. He's going to get that first team all pro because of the durability, because of the consistency that he has in the passing game. But Kittle, I think this is a well-deserved uh, all pro second team. Absolutely. Yep. hundred percent agree. Yeah. And the final one, or we'll talk about some snubs because there were a couple of them. I saw a comment about two of them, Christian McCaffrey, Drake Greenlaw, and then I believe, uh, I think Mish Wisnowski was also in there as well, but we can talk about these two specifically. Uh, what did you think about these two? Did you think they'd make the teams or not? You know, it, it's hard after they also missed the Pro Bowl. Generally, if somebody didn't make the Pro Bowl, which again is uh, voted on by um, coaches, players, and fans, generally, if somebody doesn't make the Pro Bowl, they're not going to make the All Pro because the Pro Bowl list is always longer than All Pro, right? Mm-hmm. Um I, I think there's a perception thing there with Christian McCaffrey of uh, it's kind of the same thing that everybody had with the Mike Shanahan offense back in the day where uh, people would say, you know, Mike Shanahan's able to just grab these guys in the fifth round and they turn into a thousand yard rushers. And there's so much credit given to the system. And I, I think some of the, some of the CMC snubbing um, 
it, it kind of reminds me going back to to like 2021 when Jimmy Garoppolo was on a really good stretch there is that P uh, I think Joe Staley said it on, uh, on one show that he said, I think some of the thing there is that people have so much respect for Kyle Shanahan as a play designer and a play caller that they just assume if anything's good that comes out of these plays is because of Kyle Shanahan. And I do mm-hmm. think that there's some of that with Christian McCaffrey. I think there's some of it that is, it just assumes that, you know, Christian McCaffrey is doing what he's doing because Kyle Shanahan is so good and he's such a genius and he's such a good play caller. And I think there's a perception thing there. If if he was putting up these same numbers, if he was doing the same thing that he was doing there in Carolina, I think you would be talking about all pro. If he was doing it in, in Dallas, I think you would be talking about possible all pro or at least pro bowl. Um, I mean, you're looking up the, at the numbers that he's put up compared to Pollard. Pollard made the pro bowl and Christian McCaffrey didn't. Right. Uh, and, and Christian McCaffrey has better numbers. So I think that's a perfect example, right? So if Christian McCaffrey's putting up these numbers in Dallas, everybody's saying he's one of the best backs in the league. But I think there's a a perception thing there with Kyle Shanahan that his run game is so good and he's got so many details in the run game that it actually uh, people can start taking away from what, how much Christian McCaffrey brings to it because you go yeah but also then look at 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 the how the team has produced more with Christian McCaffrey in there. The system has been great. You insert Christian McCaffrey into that system and it's taken off like a rocket. I think that's what you really see um, is people have asked me, you know, is is this all just from quarterback play that has come in? And I say, well, I'm not sold on that. Well, that's not nothing, not, not, not a knock on Brock Purdy at all. I think Brock Purdy's done remarkably well. Um, But I, I've, was telling people because people say what's the problem with our offense like after the Chargers game after the saints game what's the problem with our offense why are we not we have all these great players and i'd say everything just looks a tick off it's really close it's really really close i feel like if they if they put it start putting it all together that in december and january i was saying this for for the six weeks you know going back Mm -hmm. to october i kept saying if they if they can figure out how to put this together with christian mccaffrey and it all starts gelling i think december january you're going to see the offense take off like a rocket and here we are it's taken off like a rocket and i and that's so much i think because of christian mccaffrey because of what he brings into this offense of the abilities that gives Kyle Shanahan as far as matchup problems as far as being able to force the defense into telling you what they're doing before the snap I mean that's such a huge thing that makes the quarterback's life so easier people just it's not just the ability to dump it down to Christian McCaffrey it's can you get an exact exact look on that defense beforehand or you know or, or know exactly what your matchup is you may not know what the safeties are doing but you know you have a matchup somewhere that makes life your quarterback so much easier and to me if you look around the league as far as running backs that impact their team i don't know if there's a running back that impacts their team more than christian mccaffrey um you could make an argument for saquon barkley because you know daniel jones has not been great and and they're they're there. Uh, I think if you substitute in a, a mid-level running back in Dallas, they're still a pretty good offensive team. Um, I think if you substitute a mid-level running back in in Philadelphia, they're still a really good team. Um, if you put a put a mid-level running back like a Jeff Wilson into uh, San Francisco's offense, it's not the same. So to me, Christian McCaffrey's an absolute snub. Dre Greenlaw, I think. Um, I think it gets overshadowed by Fred. It's a s- similar situation that uh, people just assume that Fred's making Dre's life easier, that the pass rush is making Dre's life easier, and he just doesn't get the same sort of respect around the league. Um, 
you know, so those are two that that I think could be in the conversation. Uh, it is hard with Greenlaw because there are some really good linebackers around the league. I mean, I, yeah. I think you're, you're seeing a, a, a kind of a, a revitalization of the of the position um, because of how offenses have started attacking defenses. But, um, you know, he's definitely a guy that should be at least in the conversation. I agree. I, I think that for both, it's interesting. I really liked your breakdown of Christian McCaffrey because I agree with most of the sentiments that you brought up. McCaffrey, in my opinion, I said, I, I forget what week it was, uh, kind of midway through the Purdy project that McCaffrey was the offensive MVP for the 49ers because there was a significant change from when McCaffrey was on the field to when McCaffrey was off the field. It's clear how the attention shifts uh, for the quarterback when McCaffrey's on the field. Defenses fixate on him, but he also, regardless of whether they fixate on him or not, he's also able to make three-yard plays into seven-yard plays on a consistent basis. That's why quarterbacks Jimmy Garoppolo or Brock Purdy both have this safety blanket and they don't force as many throws. Now, Brock Purdy does have a fairly high turnover-worthy play rate, but Overall, it's still been fairly good football from both quarterbacks. And Garoppolo had his interception rate amongst the lowest, I think it was the lowest, of his career because you have the safety blanket that's there in front of you. What does that mean? You don't have to force a throw in a double coverage when you know that you can dump it down and get probably five yards at, at minimum out of that play. And so Christian McCaffrey had so much value in that aspect. But also, he creates a lot for his teammates because of the attention that he grabs, because then it creates one-on-one -on -one coverage. And most of the 49ers' uh, skill position players, with the talent they have with Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, or George Kittle, are able to beat their defenders in one-on-one -on -one coverage. And that's a good thing for the 49ers as well. And it also creates a lot of schematic options for Kyle Shanahan, because when you have levels concepts and two defenders crash on uh, the flat, then you have the intermediate level wide open. Or maybe even the deep shot open if the safety comes down. And so you have different, different options for the 49ers on offense. And that's all created as a factor of Christian McCaffrey being available and Christian McCaffrey being this focal point of your offense. And Brock Purdy has certainly elevated the 49ers offense. I just think McCaffrey has had the biggest impact overall of any player on the 49ers this year for their offense. So to me, I think Impact-wise, I do agree. I think he's one of the most impactful players in football in general in terms of uh, for one's offense. Now, as a all-pro, I think the stigma around him not being a pro bowler or an all-pro, I think he should have been a pro bowler. I don't know about all-pro. The reason being, I think the stigma is that they do want pure running backs uh, because of how uh, because they just want pure rushers. And that's obviously something that doesn't benefit Christian McCaffrey as much given that he's a very well all-around player. I'm sure if there was a flex spot, McCaffrey would probably get that because of how versatile he is with his run, uh, with his receiving ability and ability as a rusher. But I do think that Nick uh, Nick Chubb and Josh Jacobs probably do deserve the first and second team uh, this year. McCaffrey would be my three this year. Uh, maybe you throw in Saquon Barkley in there as well. I think those two had very good years, and Jacobs was the best rush running back in terms of rushing yards. He was the best runner in football this year. Nick Chubb has always been efficient. He's been that guy. And so I don't mind it, but I do think that your point about if McCaffrey was with another team, he'd probably get more recognition because he'd get more statistics. And so that's where I think McCaffrey kind of fits in. Now, real yeah. quick, go ahead, actually, before I what, talk on Greenlaw. Uh, um, the, my thought is always, you know, it, is, um, 
Christian McCaffrey, Josh Jacobs is like a Steven Jackson. Christian McCaffrey is like a Marshall Falk. Mm-hmm. Um, they're great players. They're different. Um, but I, and, and I think you're right that, that the league will always wait to a Steven Jackson at running back over a Marshall Falk. Uh, but Marshall Falk's got a Super Bowl ring. So uh, that's one thing I always uh, come back to is, is how much he changed that St. Louis offense, uh, how great Marshall was. Because uh, that's who I see Christian McCaffrey as. I mean, you're talking about, to me, uh, the best ta- all, like all-around talent at running back since Marshall Falk. I think, right. I think, I think he's that good. Yeah, I, I think so too. And it's shown for the 49ers in the statistics, but also on the film with the impact that he's had. Now, quickly on Dre Greenlaw, I liked your point about how there are a lot of good linebackers. I think you are right. The linebacker position seeing a little bit of a revitalization. Fred Warner, I think, was a deserved uh, first team. I think I like Roquan Smith as a first team. And I even like the selection of Matt Milano. I've watched a little bit of Buffalo football this year. I think Matt Milano is an underrated linebacker. I didn't mind that. Now, the second team uh, linebackers were C.J. Mosley of uh, the New York Jets, Bobby Wagner of the Rams, and Demario Davis of Saints. I, I know that Dre Greenlaw's had a very good year. I wonder, though, where do you put Dre Greenlaw in over those six linebackers? It's tough, and I think it's a lot of subjective talk. I think you – I wouldn't be – I wouldn't have been mad if Dre Greenlaw made that uh, made that list. I also – I'm not necessarily that mad if Dre Greenlaw didn't make the list just because – not because of Greenlaw himself, but because of the talent that is there with those six players. I think Greenlaw, though, has had a phenomenal year in general. I think he's been – not like Hufanga, but – in general, he's an aggressive player, a guy who fits his gaps very well, but also makes the play in an aggressive manner. So I've liked Greenlaw's year thus far and a, a nice career year for him after the contract year. Yeah. And, you know, I sometimes I feel like some of these awards become uh, lifetime achievement awards in some way um, that when guys make things for a certain amount of time, people just always put them in the conversation like Bobby Wagner. Bobby Wagner has been a great player in this league. I'm not sure at this stage in his career, I really say he's second team all pro. That's um, the one that I was, yeah. Uh, you know, statistically he's, he's, he had a good year, but yeah. He's well, he's been he's been a liability in coverage for several years now. And uh, you know, where 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 the conversation I, I also come back with Dre Greenlaw is I think one thing that hurts him is the position he plays versus Fred Warner and how he's used in the defense because they ask Fred Warner to do a lot more things than Dre Greenlaw. Dre Greenlaw is generally going to stay in that hook zone or flat zone, hook to flat. He's going to stay around the hash to the sideline and he's going to make open field tackle short. That's generally what his job is. Okay. Um, Fred Warner is asked to do a lot more things in coverage as far as there's times like Tampa two, he's got to match the number three down the, down the middle of the field, which that could be a tight end. It could be a receiver. I mean, we saw it against Tampa Bay. He was matching Julio Jones down the middle of the field. Uh, Right. What linebacker are teams saying we're going to match Julio put, a linebacker on Julio Jones and match him down the field. Very few teams feel confident in that. We'll have him play a matching zone off of these blitz packages we have where he's got to pick up the number three inside. And that could be, I mean, there's been times that's been Cooper Cup and we have no hesitation in matching Fred Warner up on Cooper Cup. Dre Greenlaw is not asked to do those same things. He's not asked to match the number threes. He's not not asked to match deep down the seams. Now, sometimes he in the cover two, he does need to match the number two down the seam. Uh, and, right. and there's times or squeeze the seam. And there's sometimes he's missed that. Um, 
but overall he's he's going to be that short area tackling guy and he's just not asked to do all the things that fred warner is and i think that's why again when you talk about fred warner there's just a different level of of linebacker play from fred because he's asked to do things that very few linebackers can even think about doing in this league and fred warner does them on a weekly basis you see it every week on film fred is doing these things and he allows so much more for the defense i think it'd be it's a lot it's easier as i know this is gonna maybe draw some hate it's easier to replace greenlaw on our defense than it is to replace fred warner um Greenlaw goes out, Al Shayer comes in. You're going to have a little bit of a drop off, but it's not going to be near as what it would be if you have Fred Warner go out. Um, as far as just what you can do on defense, I, I think so too. I think that um, while it's no knock on Greenlaw, it is true that Warner does more, and unfortunately, the more isn't always seen unless you watch the film again because of because uh, it's not going to pop up on a stat sheet when you cover a a tight end ten yards down the field when you cover a receiver or anything. But I think that is true, and Greenlaw, I mean. While while that is his role, it's a limited role. I think he fills that role very well, and I think that that's a good uh, good thing that you want to see. He makes very open field tackles as a, a strength of Greenlaw as well, which is not necessarily something you always necessarily see from a linebacker. Um, but Greenlaw fits his gaps, is able to make those open field tackles when he's uh, in that position, and that really forces uh, the 49ers uh, or really forces opponents for the 49ers to. Uh, throw it downfield more and sometimes that has led to good plays sometimes that's led to bad plays but when the a dot of opposing quarterbacks is fairly low you see more and more punts because the 49ers are able to wrap up uh short of the sticks now they haven't been necessarily a great screen defending team but overall they've been a good team when it comes to open field tackles and that's why they, they their defense is as good as their defense has been absolutely absolutely now, I want to ask you uh, an interesting question because you've watched both sides very, very uh, closely. The defense has been a number one unit uh, for a good portion of the year. The offense, though, has seen a revitalization uh, recently and has been scoring a good amount of points. As of now, do you think which side do you think is the stronger side for the 49ers? That's tough. Uh, I would say I would say the defense still, um, you know, while we can look at that, the defense has laid a couple eggs this season. Um, the offense, uh, just to me, the offense is not as as well rounded, I would say um, that. And that's what's crazy to say about our offense. We're putting up, you know, lots of points and it still feels like there's still more to be done. Um you know, we saw against the Cardinals, Debo really didn't have much, but, um, and, and there, the first half, it felt like they could have put another, another seven, 10 points on the, on the scoreboard. Um, you just wonder, you know, when this offense starts getting everybody really clicking and involved and, and just humming, um, are we going to see the kind of stuff like we saw in the 2019 playoffs of against Minnesota and green Bay, where it's like every time our team got the ball, it was going to be seven yards every play and, until they scored um, seven, seven plus yards, I should say. Uh, I mean, it was like when we went, went against green Bay, we were averaging what 7.1 yards per carry, something like that at, in this, in that game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was like every time we ran a play, it was going to be seven, seven to 50 yards. Right. And it just felt like they, that, offense was unstoppable in that game 
you feel like the offense still can has room to get there and it still can get better. Uh, the defense, it's felt like, you know, a lot of their games, they're playing about as well as they can. Um, you know, the, the Cardinals game, we, we gave up one drive, one drive. Uh, mm-hmm. There was the big flea flicker that uh, if you watch hard knocks, apparently Arizona had been working on that play all season long and they busted out apparently when cliff kingsbury is trying to save his job um but and even on that play aj green pushes lenore in the back i mean it was it was as clear as day i, I don't hate lenore on that one uh but they they gave up one drive against the cardinals they they've they've been a team that has been very sound defensively and like you said josh jacobs was the reason that we we were struggling against las vegas and, he, and if you look at the second half of that game it was like three plays. It really was. You're talking like a crazy off schedule play to Devonte Adams. They lose him. You know, it's just Stidham is running around and he sneaks behind the defense. There's the deep bomb to, to Devonte Adams. Uh, that was it a catch? Was it not a catch? Uh, mm. you know, that, that whole situation. And then there was a jump ball to, to Devonte Adams in the end zone. Um, those, that was their offense in the second half that, uh, that led to 17 points. Um, you know, that's that, when I look at that, I go, oh, okay. Um, you know, that this is, this is all it was. And, uh, and, and so I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I think, man, I, I don't see this defense as being, as having a lot of holes. And I think they're as good as they can be and, and as they will be. And, that's, that's another thing this Saturday. I just don't see the Seahawks being able to do anything on them. Yeah. I, I do wonder how uh, this defense will play kind of going down the line um, against more tougher opponents, potentially Dallas Cowboys, potentially Philadelphia Eagles. I don't know how tough necessarily this matchup will be, but for this question, I think you can view at it, view it multiple ways. You can view it as the season's progressing. You could view it overall for the season. I'm going to view it right now as it is. Right now, I think the offense has been on a tear. I think they've been the last six, seven games as strong as any offense in the NFL. That's why they've ranked as high as they have in several statistics, several categories, yards per play, yards per game, points scored, all that kind of jazz. And I think right now the offense is at one of the higher points that it's been. Brock Purdy has had some really good games. He's had some okay games, but I think that he's also had this leveling out type of play where I wonder how that changes in the playoffs, but I don't necessarily think that changes too much in week one of the playoffs. And I think the offense right now is at a high point. Defense, I think, is still a very good unit. The reason that I'd say the offense right now is better is because of the recent slide. Some of it has been in coverage. Some of it has it, – it's kind of been a variety of things, right? The 49ers have done very good in getting pressure on quarterbacks. But in week 17, they didn't get a single sack on Jared Stidham. I think it's a part also of finishing those plays. And also sometimes when you get the pressure, it allows the quarterback to evade the pocket and allows the quarterbacks to – when, when they have that stinky athleticism to extend plays. And that's where some of these, you can't hold coverage for seven seconds. So that's where some of these plays uh, get extended and uh, can convert into big time opportunities. And so to me, I think the defense right now is a very strong unit. I think the offense right now though is playing better because they're just, they're elevating right now while the defense is kind of at the same level, if not a little below. 
and and yeah i mean that that's a tough question because i mean it, it's it's kind of like one a one b um yeah. you know both are firing it at a high level the 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 defense i think um I, th I think that Las Vegas game is weird because it really feels like they, because the execution in pass rush was really sloppy and yeah. we didn't, and we didn't have near the, 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 like when you look at the, the game plan, as far as pass rush that we had against Arizona, it was a lot more cohesive and a lot more thought out than Las Vegas. And I really wonder if that's just because they were taking Jarrett Stidham lightly. They thought, well, mm -hmm. you know, we'll do this, we'll do this. And he's he's going to make a bad throw. He's going to force us here, and he didn't. And we also gave him wide open run lanes to get out of. And again, it was sloppy execution in our pass rush scheme. Um, I am interested to see, and I'm hoping that as, as we get through these playoffs, that Javon Kinlaw will start really coming alive. Because what we really need, what we really, really need is to get um, – uh, someone else that can help generate some more pressure with just four down. Um, Ebicom is, is streaky. Uh, he he's, he's kind of like a streaky shooter in basketball. He will have his moments and then he'll be just disappear for five, six plays. Um, Armstead does a lot of dirty work and he's, he, he has a lot of bull rushes, but we need uh, that option to be able to add somebody else in there to really take that. Cause Bosa is going to be Bosa. But mm -hmm. like you said, the pass rush has not been where it needs to be. If you look at our pass rush, 2021 pass rush, 2019, it was, it was better than it is now. Now I think our coverage unit is better than it was those years uh, for the most part, uh, mainly because of the addition of Mooney ward. Um, Agreed. Yeah. You know, I, I would say that Mooney ward and Lenore is better than Emmanuel Mosley and uh, Ambry Thomas. Um, and then you also have Hafunga and Gibson back there. And Gibson's playing out of his mind. I mean, he's playing at a really high level. Uh, Jimmy Ward in the slot has been a huge thing. I mean, he he has been so good in the slot, uh, especially with the kind of zone defenses we play. Um, and they all stuff the run. Uh, I think our run defense is better than it's been the last couple of years, though. And that's what's exciting is to see that. So, uh, yeah. Uh, somebody asked, how did I acquire the flame of the West to reforge Narsal? Uh uh, I got it on eBay. eBay, it shipped from India. So that's how I, where I got Narsal from. <laughs> uh, but no, uh, talking about what you just said, I, I do agree. Uh, I mean, overall, there are significant portions of this team that are better. Coverage, obviously, being the main one from last year, right? Coverage, and I think coverage can be looped into the turnovers. Something we've seen uh, that, that's been a huge ordeal for the 49ers this year it's been the turnover differential they went from one of the middling teams they they weren't really a turnover generating machine last year uh they were amongst were really in the bottom half of the nfl and that changed a lot of games when you talk about turnovers the 49ers i mean when you win the turnover battle you're going to win games that's not uh that's ne not necessarily something that really uh alarms a lot of bells but how many games are you going to win the turnover battle? That's the amount of games that you're going to win. Last year, I think it was only five the 49ers won the turnover battle for. And then they won the remaining of their games uh, in when the turnover battle was even. This year, though, the 49ers won the turnover battle in 10 of their games, including their last eight wins. And so that's the huge part. They went 10-0 in those games. The four times they lost the turnover battle this year was their four losses. And so overall you can see there's a clear pattern when uh, with turnover differential and with wins. And so 
the 49ers, they're the best team in terms in turnover differential this entire year. They've been creating uh, turnovers at a very high rate, but more importantly, they're not putting the ball on the ground or throwing the, uh, the ball to opposing teams. They're one of the best as well in not uh, in, in uh, what do you call it in, in not creating turnovers as well. They, so they've been efficient on both sides in that way. And that's one other portion where you could say offense has been doing their job. Defense has been doing their job as well. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's complimentary football and uh, it's something that people say all the time, but uh, what does it actually mean? And, you know, it really reminds me of the 2011 49ers that one thing they were really, really good at was the turnover differential. I think that year we had like 37 takeaways and like 10 turnovers. That was it. And the team won like almost every game, you know, it's just like every, every game, the 49ers were just rolling through people and they were able to do this and have a great ranked ranked defense. And it wasn't like they had a high explosive offense. I mean, that offense was not like they were leading the league in three and outs. Um, it, but it just shows that when you have a great defense, if you don't put them in a bad position, you will win a lot of games. And I, I mean, that's, what's exciting about this team is you say, we're really good at not turning over the ball because we've it's like it's it's come around and said okay we have Christian McCaffrey who's who's Bo Jackson in Tecmo Bowl and you can give him give him the ball on a screen pass and he'll beat three guys into the end zone um and so we don't have we just have to wait for that opportunity it will come eventually it will be there so just don't force anything and our defense isn't going to be giving up a bunch of 80 yard drives i mean generally you, and it's like you say we don't if we when we win that turnover battle we win that's it's just that's that's the facts of it so i think during the playoffs it's going to be if we don't if we win that turnover battle i don't see us losing the rest of the season yes i will say it all the way through the end of the season including super bowl um you know it, if you if you look at the the great teams in the afc what's been josh allen's problem when they've lost games is because he has turnovers you Great. can have yeah. the, some of the greatest players out there and some of the most talented players. You turn that ball over, you will make it harder for your team to win. So, you know, ball security, take the ball away. You win a lot of games. I agree. I agree. And I think that that's going to be another factor in the playoffs, right? How do the 49ers match up in the turnover battle? Now, a team that I'm interested to see if they do face off against is the Dallas Cowboys because they've been a team the last two years that have been doing good in the turnover battle. Remember last year, though, the 49ers beat the Dallas Cowboys despite them creating, generating, I believe, the most or second most turnovers in the NFL in general. So I, I'm interested to see how that battle goes this year if that happens. But for the last topic of the day, I wanted to share some love to the guys I know you've been watching very closely on film, the unsung heroes. There was a tweet that went out uh, last week about this, and I wanted to kind of get your thoughts. Who are your unsung heroes for the team this year? Um, I would say defense. I would say the rotational defensive line. Um, you know, you could put a – that's a blanket statement, but I, you can put a number of names in there. You can put Givens. You can put Hyder. You can put T.Y. McGill. You can put uh, Keem Spence. You can put Jordan Willis in there. You can put Amenahu in there. I, I think when you look at that group, the ability the, – the, 
flexibility they have to be able to give Bosa and Armstead and Kinlaw breathers to be able to, to go out and play at a high level when they come back in and that they have been so productive when they've been in there and they've been such good role players. I mean, you look at like T Y McGill, he plays his role so well and he's a guy that man has flashed on the film uh, the last few years um, or sorry, last few weeks. Uh, he, I mean, I'm, I'm getting hyped about T Y McGill. Like he, he reminds me of DJ Jones 2019. That's who he reminds me of when I watch him on film. Um, and we all saw who DJ became over the years and then, you know, went to Denver last year. That's what TJ McGill reminds me of right now. Or T.Y. McGill, sorry, not TJ. Um, and so I would say the rotational defensive line, all those guys. I To me, unsung heroes right there. Yeah, I, I like him, especially T.Y. McGill. A guy who we really just picked off the street and has been a, a phenomenal addition for the 49ers. He's been, I remember there was a, a good portion of time, obviously, where we didn't have Ark Armstead and Javon Kinlaw when T.Y. McGill returned, and yet, uh, or when T.Y. McGill was on the team. And the 49ers really didn't lose a beat when they were gone. They held up in run defense, were still the best team in run defense. And when Armstead came back, you now can plug and play McGill, especially after Kevin Givens suffered that uh, MCL sprain that uh, cost him a good amount of time over the end of the season. You now can plug and play McGill. And like you said, those rotational defensive linemen, they're important because they allow guys like Javon Kinlaw to get back into game shape, to get back into uh, being comfortable and being confident into their own play because you don't have to play 70 snaps a game. You don't have to play 50 snaps a game. You can play the 30% of defensive snaps instead and get back into the groove of things while also making an impact on the team. That's been the the the, the kind of like the uh, MO for the 49ers the last two years. Defensive line, you got to stack up different bodies and you've got to utilize a rotation. It's been able to keep players fresh and healthy. And also when players do get down with injury, have players that can replace them, maybe not necessarily to their caliber, but have players that can replace them and still produce the same statistics that you did without those guys. And that was shown this year. Absolutely. It reminds me of the 2013 Seahawks. You know, the 2013 Seahawks, it seemed like uh, whenever we'd play them, it was so hard to do anything offensively because it was just wave after wave after wave of defensive linemen and that they would just they would just control the game on the with the defensive line. And that's what you're seeing with this. I think Chris Kasurik gets, uh, you know, should get all the flowers for how well this defensive unit is played. Cause it's like Agreed. you say their main, you know, you, you have Armstead go down. You may not have the Armstead level production, but you don't have this huge gaping hole in liability. That's what's been fascinating to watch and, and, and to see when a Ridgeway goes down, same thing. When Kevin Givens goes down, same thing. You you just see all of these guys playing so sound, playing so great. Um, absolutely unsung heroes, de rotational defensive line. Yeah, yeah, love it. And now let's turn over to the other side of the field, offense. Who are you thinking offensively? It's hard to say an unsung hero uh, because so many people have been talked about at some point throughout the season. You know, we've talked a lot about McCaffrey. Ayuk's gotten a lot of love this year for uh, his first thousand yard season. Debo, everybody knows is Debo. Uh, Kittle is is Kittle, and he, he everybody loves Kittle. Trent Williams is who Trent Williams is. I'm gonna say 
unsung hero, and this is probably going to be some people are going to going to roast me for it is Mike McGlinchey. Uh-oh. There we go. Um, because he's taken so much flack. Like he he he's given such little love and given so much hate. Um, McGlinchey has his McGlinchey moments, but there are so many plays that he just plays solid, and he is so good in the run game that um, I think he just doesn't get the the attention and 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 the the positivity that he really deserves. And he's going to be a well played. Pe- play- well-paid player in this offseason whether it's at the 49ers or somebody else um because when i look at you know the big thing is oh man we got to get mcglinchy out of there i i look around and i go i don't see a path to upgrading over mcglinchy i just don't um i don't see anybody coming out in free agency this year i don't see anybody that we're going to be able to in a position to draft this year that would be an upgrade over mike mcglinchy so to me unsung hero mike mcglinchy that's a very funny one. I think uh, a lot of fans are going to like that. I actually have been in, in agreement with you. I think that you're right. And a lot of people don't understand how rare it is to have really good right tackles. Left tackles have been um, pretty, pretty strong over the last couple of years. And still, I think it's tough to find a, a really good left tackle as well. But Mike McGlinchey has definitely done his job this year. He's had his moments. You're right. He's had his uh, ups, ups and downs. Unfortunately, some of the downs come at very inopportune times. But Mike McGlinchey has been very solid, and he is a solid run defender. I thought he improved his pass protection this year. And funny enough, 49er fans, they keep asking for an upgrade. You're right. Where's the upgrade? I don't know where you can find an upgrade with the way the 49ers roster is comprised. You're not going to have a pick until the third round. And offensive tackle... Well, it's a position of need for several teams in the NFL. Teams are going to reach for offensive tackle in the draft. You're not going to find likely a starting day a day one starter at offensive tackle in the third round. On top of that, you go to free agency. There might be only one option that you may consider an, an, an upgrade over Mike McGlinchey due to age and a variety of factors, and that's Caleb McGarry of the Atlanta Falcons. We don't know, though, if Caleb McGarry is going to remain with the Atlanta Falcons or not after this year. The Falcons have the right to franchise tag him. The Falcons could also extend him because he seems like a good part of their offensive line. If McGarry's off the board, there's really no upgrade uh, apart from Mike McGlinchey. And I think fans are going to be a little surprised when Mike McGlinchey's contract comes out. Regardless of where he is, Mike McGlinchey is going to get some good money this offseason. Absolutely. I mean, uh, I think fans are sometimes out of touch with with really, you know, like right tackle positions. Is anybody mm-hmm. can, can anybody tell me how well the Houston Texans is right tackle has played this year? No, we're 49ers fans. We don't care. Can yeah. anybody tell me, you know, how the Cleveland Browns is right tackle has played this year? Nobody cares. We're 49ers fans. It's the right tackle position. We are so out of touch with how things are around the rest of the league for that position. Mike McGlinchey is going to get paid, and he's going to get paid very well. Uh, it's like you said, you know, possibly the guy from Atlanta. Uh, again, the question comes, can we afford him under our salary cap? That's with, the big all thing. The players he's going to be more than and- McGlinchey. Right. And so how that's what I mean is, is, is I don't see a pathway to that. I don't see how we can afford somebody more expensive than McGlinchey in free agency. I don't see a path to it through the draft. Um, and yeah, I may get smoke for that. I'll take all the smoke on that. I don't care. You can come at me about, uh, about Mike, Mike McGlinchey, because I also look back to last year's playoffs. If we have Mike McGlinchey in there instead of Tom Compton, what is the difference in the playoffs? Because Von Miller was eating Tom Compton alive. Mm-hmm. Rashawn Gary ate Tom Compton alive in Green Bay. 
I mean, there were so many plays. It was he was in the backfield within two and a half seconds, um, right through. Which sometimes taking Tom Compton with him. Um, you know, McGlinchey has his moments, but you're looking at like there's probably five, six, seven less bad moments with McGlinchey in there than there was with Tom Compton. So you know, to me, I would rather have McGlinchey in there than anybody else on our team right now, and I don't see a path to upgrade it. So, uh, yeah, unsung hero is like you say we're. I'll get the smoke on it. I don't care. Uh, I watch. <laughs> I just don't care. Hey, it's a good. Uh, it's a good pick, and I think a good way to end the show. Mike McGlinchey, everyone's favorite Forty Nine er, getting some much needed love here on the show. But Johnny, I appreciate your time, and thank you so much for joining me on this Friday morning, guys. In the chat, you guys were always, uh, as always, popping. So awesome. thank you, guys. Always awesome. Thank you guys so much for taking your time and joining us on this fine Friday morning. Any last thoughts before we head out? Oh, man. No, just thanks for having me on. Uh, you guys can find me on YouTube at Johnny Dale's Football Academy. Also, you can find a podcast. We've just launched a new podcast, uh, which episodes coming out Monday and Friday mornings. Uh, you can find that on Spotify. You can find that on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on Google Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, you can find the audio-only side. You can also still find it on YouTube. Um, it's just under Johnny Dell's Football Academy. That's Johnny Dell, like you see it on the screen, with no eight. Uh, Johnny Dell with go. no H. Uh, so uh, thank you so much for having me on and uh, the wonderful talk. Yeah, of course. And guys, be sure to like and subscribe to both channels. We're going to be live soon. And 49ers got a fun game uh, this weekend against the Seattle Seahawks. Take care. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.